Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 14 of the Locust and Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss theonomy versus autonomy. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways you can support us. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Well, hello, and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And we've got a very interesting one today. We've got a lot of raw thoughts on this, so it'll be an interesting podcast. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Disclaimer, this is one that I'm still working through. So it'll be good because you can kind of join us in the process of working through something theologically. Yeah. But before we jump into the podcast, oh, well, which, as you said, we're talking about theonomy versus autonomy. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, Andrew, what are you into? Well, I want to, I guess, give a little bit of an update. I don't know when the last time I talked about my Bible reading endeavors. It was uh, Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Wow. Come a long way. I just finished Ecclesiastes, and I'm now on... Song of Solomon. Awesome. But I had never really read through Ecclesiastes all that much. I mean, I did, but like not in a long time. Yeah. I think out of, I mean, you know, I enjoyed all like the last three books that I've read. I mean, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, I enjoyed them all. But I think Ecclesiastes was really cool because I was taken aback by just how good that book is of Solomon writing about the different things in his life that he realizes our vanity and chasing the wind, right. you know? And so you look at, I look at, well, I look at my life and I'm like, okay, now what, what am I doing? That's what am I chasing the wind in? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause, and, and Solomon too, you know, the interesting thing about him is that he was the wisest man <laughs> to ever live outside of right. Christ. The fact that he, even in his wisdom that the Lord gave him still did these things, I think is mm-hmm. interesting. And in one of the verses that I read in Ecclesiastes, I can't remember where it is, but he talks about how too much wisdom can sometimes cause you to go and chase after the wind. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. But uh, <clears throat> so that's what I've been into. That's cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny the, the things that we 
make important that really aren't. Mm-hmm. And then when you achieve them, you have the same conclusion that Solomon's already showed us. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Right. You know? Which is why you see so many people that chase after success and wealth and money and power and all that stuff. And once they obtain it, they're still empty because that's not what brings joy and happiness and peace and contentment. The Lord can can give us those things as a blessing and we can use them for his glory. But to, to be seeking after those things as an end unto themselves, it never brings fulfillment. Right. And uh, we could just read Ecclesiastes and understand that, but uh, so many people have to try it for themselves. And, and that's why you have so many people that are on medication and stressed out and anxiety-ridden, uh, depression, because they're looking for joy in all of these things that they can't bear. Or once they get it, they realize that they still have the same struggles that they had when they started. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah, and it, it, uh, the other interesting thing, real quick, that I've noticed is that a lot of these books um, I hadn't read, well, I hadn't read in a while. It's interesting to go back to something that you haven't read in in some time because after a while, you know, the Lord works in your life and the Holy Spirit kind of guides you to certain ways and like my whole, the, like my theology has shifted a lot since the last time I read through Psalms or right. Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. It's just, you almost read it a different way. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just an interesting observation that I was making while I was reading. I was like, man, I remember when I used to think this completely different thought about this verse. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What are you into? <laughs> well, yours was super spiritual. Mine is not. I am into the Locust and Honey podcast. You're into us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in a very unconceited way. Yeah. But I wanted to kind of talk about Linktree. I'm in the Linktree. I've been working on that. And I want to kind of explain it so that anybody who wants to follow us more closely or in different ways, I want to kind of just go through what that is. So Linktree is basically a homepage for us. You can go to L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. So it's Linktree, but L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash locust and honey link tree backslash locust and honey and that will take you to our link tree and once you get there it kind of tells who we are you see our little logo up top and there's some things that you can do uh the first thing is you can click on that and go to our latest episode so it's a link to our latest episode the other thing you can click on is our website and that'll take you to our website which has all of our episodes on there uh one you can join our facebook group and last time we kind of talked about how these are sparking conversations. Uh, our episodes are meant to be just that, like a, a spark in a conversation. And a good way to follow up with us throughout the week and to talk about it or to have like-minded people talking about the stuff that we're sparking conversation on is our Facebook group. And so if you go to our link tree, it will take you to our Facebook group and you can join that and carry out the conversation. So as we're posting these on the Lord's Day, then throughout the week we can you can talk to us, you can leave comments, we'll we'll be in there engaging with you guys, or as as our tribe of people grow, then we can be communicating with each other about these kinds of things. And then the last thing that we have is you can give to the podcast financially. Uh, I purposefully didn't do a Patreon uh, where you have to do like a monthly subscription. You can just if, if you decided you wanted to give us five dollars or if you wanted to give us 
$1,000, you could leave that there. But I wanted to kind of talk about what that is. We're not as concerned with giving financially. We're pretty low low budget podcast. Uh, a lot of this stuff I've been acquiring over the last couple of years. But what that money will be used for is the podcast, uh, upgrading equipment, things like that. It's not completely free. It is uh, costing us some money to, to do this, but we don't mind that at all. Uh, this is not our full-time job. It never will be our full-time job. We both feel called to be leaders in the church. Andrew, as you know, is a worship pastor, and I'm a, a youth pastor, and uh, we feel called to full-time service in vocational ministry in the church. But we do enjoy doing this, and this is something that we want to continue to do, and that does come with a financial cost. So if you so feel inclined, you can do that there as well. And then on the bottom, you have the little icons. You can go to our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Instagram's on there. Our Spotify link is on there. Uh, an email for us is there. So if you want to message us directly, you can email us. Our Apple Podcast link is on there as well. So I'm excited about that. It's a good way for us to as we build an audience to be able to connect with them and uh, and communicate throughout the week with them. As we start talking about that in the future, I just wanted to kind of let you guys know what that is. Uh, and it's just our homepage where you can get the links for everything that we've got going on right now. You can also find it in the bio in our Instagram page and in the show notes. Yeah, that it will be the, the link. Uh, yeah, it'll be in the show notes of each episode, and it should be on all of our social media accounts mm. where you can just click on it and it'll take you to our link tree. So, but if you are not super savvy when it comes to technology on any browser, just type in L I N K T R dot E E backslash locust and honey. And that'll be our link tree. And it'll take you to all that. Yeah. So with that said, Andrew, let's talk about some theonomy versus autonomy. All right. You excited? <laughs> I am. I told Andrew before we started recording, I'm a little <laughs> nervous about this one because uh, this is one of the ones that I'm not completely solidified in. But I wanted to still cover it. I've been working through this for a little while now. Uh, I've got some books that I'm reading through, but they're they're pretty big books, and I'm not all the way through them yet. But this is something that I wanted us to talk about, and we've gotten several questions on this topic and so I thought it would be a good one to, to cover as we're working through it so I know and I'm going to state from the beginning there are brilliant people that are way more educated than I am and have a have been studying the word a long time and they will either agree or disagree with where I'm coming from on this but with with how I've been reading scripture I, I feel like where I'm at makes the most sense to me from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. And uh, and so that's kind of where we're presenting this from. And so I'm going to present it as I know it now. And if you have questions or if you think I'm wrong, uh, feel free to join our Facebook group and let's talk about it. Yeah. So theonomy versus autonomy. How are we going to start here, Andrew? Uh, we should probably define terms. Okay, let's do it. So theonomy. Theonomy means... God's law, or it could be God's governance, Theo being God, Onomy being law. And then the word autonomy, it means self-law or self-governance. So the reason that we've put these two words together 
Cornelius Van Til, he kind of put it together. I don't know that he's the first one, but he, he did say that you either have theonomy or you have autonomy. And, uh, and so we just wanted to kind of look at that idea and that concept of theonomy versus autonomy. Nowadays, the word theonomy has been thrown out, and it's been kind of a, a negatively associated word. And when people hear, oh, you're a theonomist, really what they mean by that is you are a Christian Sharia person. Mm. You yeah. know, you're wanting to enact Christian Sharia law. So I wanted to kind of work through this together and see where we end up yeah. at the end. There is a choice between God's law and self-law is the argument that we're making. Uh, we, we can either govern ourselves according to God's law or we're going to be autonomous in that. And, and those are the two options. God's governing us or self is governing. And that, uh, that goes for societies, that goes for governments, that goes for families, that goes for individuals, right? We're either submitting to God's law and his authority, or we are self-governing and submitting to our own laws and our own authorities. So before we get into it, I, I want to kind of talk about more of what theonomy is not. Uh, theonomy is not, like I said, it's not Christian Sharia law. It's a lot of times, I, I heard this definition lately, but when when people talk about theonomy, they, they have this understanding that it's this full-rounded political philosophy that believes in the imposition of scriptural law and a theocracy of clergy imposing their state-led belief on an unwilling society. Mm. And that's not what it is. It's right. actually the complete opposite of that. There, there's no desire to impose a belief on unwilling people. But as we get into it, more so the, the idea of theonomy is to see a spiritual change in the people, a submission to God's law by the people, a submission to God and a change of heart and a change of desire, which ushers in also the submission to his law and society. Mm -hmm. so, so when we are talking about theonomy, instead of the idea that theonomy is a imposed, forced thing— of of put play, of of putting God's law upon unbelieving people's shoulders uh -huh. and expecting them to keep it when when and I'm I'm asking for clarity's sake. Yeah. When we're talking here, are we talking more about okay, as people submit to the law of God, what you should see is entire societies submitting to the law of God in their governance in their culture, in their societal norms, and specifically with theonomy, talking about in their governance and in their way of yeah, so doing that. When which, we're, yeah. And let me know if this is answering the question that you're asking, but when we're talking about theo or theonomy, we're talking about God's law being the governing law of a society. Mm -hmm. So God's word for the Christian is... A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's the bread of life. It's the living water. It is how God reveals himself to us. And so as a Christian, we find who we are in Christ through his word. But God is the creator of all things. And so what I'm arguing is more of a sphere sovereignty mm -hmm. argument that God has given us. He's given us the church and God's word is the foundation of the church, right? Christ is the foundation of the church. He has revealed himself through his word to us. And so me as a pastor 
if I'm speaking to somebody, I have authority in as much as what I'm saying is scriptural. Mm-hmm. When I step outside of that umbrella of scripture, I'm no longer speaking in authority for God because I'm now speaking in my own authority, which as a pastor, I have no authority. I'm, I'm a, an under-shepherd of Christ who is the head shepherd. So if I'm in the pulpit and I'm saying everybody has to go out and buy juicy fruit bubblegum or you're in sin, I, I have no authority to say that just because I'm a pastor, mm-hmm. right? That is one sphere of sovereignty. God has given us the church. Another sphere would be the family, and God has put the father as the head of the family. And so in the same way, a father has authority over his family in as much as it's scriptural. So if I go to my kids and I say, you're not allowed to eat food anymore, they don't have to submit to that because it opposes God's word, right? God's word is king over the family. It's king over the church. But the third sphere is the government. Mm -hmm. God has established the government. He's given us government. But his law is over the government as well. So he's given the government a sword, but he's also given them what they are to look like. He's defined what a biblical good government is, and he's defined what a bad government is. And, And so my argument in theonomy is that God is also God's law, God's governance is over the government as well. Mm. And so some of the pushback comes then with, like what I said, well, you're just wanting to have this Christian Sharia law where you go and you mandate whatever you believe on other people that what if somebody doesn't believe in God or what if somebody doesn't believe in what you're saying? Um, And the answer to that is God is king of kings and Lord of Lords. Christ has been King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the the King of the Kings. He's he's over all governments. He's over all spheres of life, and His Word is sufficient for all of them. Right. And and so that's kind of the argument that I'm arguing for mm-hmm. is that we're either going to submit to God's law, or we're going to create our own. And that's why we have theonomy versus autonomy. So we're either submitting to God's law or we're going to be self-governing and creating our own laws. Right. And my argument is that the best answer and the most biblical response to that is to submit to God's law in all three spheres. He's given us the government. The government's under God. He's given us families. The family is under God. He's given us the church. The church is under God. So these spheres overlap some, but they don't. One doesn't control the other, or vice versa. They're all under the sufficiency and authority of God. Okay. So theonomy and what did you say? Single sphere theology. Uh, so theonomy would be. Okay. Uh, uh, wait, wait, what? So theonomy would be under the umbrella of. Single sphere theology? No, that would just be sphere sovereignty. Sphere sovereignty. I'm sorry. Or spe- yeah. I couldn't get the words right. Yeah, no worries. Um, so okay, so you got sphere sovereignty sovereignty on one end. Yep. You've got obviously that <laughs> means that God is sovereign over all. He's got yep. all authority over all institutions, over all things, all, yeah, all of all creation. All spheres of life. Right. God is sovereign. Okay. So now you've got the other side. What does the other side say? So there's a couple other sides, but the primary other side that that would um, be relevant to us 
as Reformed would be Two Kingdom theology or the Mm -hmm. Two Kingdom doctrine. And so uh, the Two Kingdom doctrine, David Van Drunen would be one of the ones that I would look to for the most kind of clarity in this. And basically what you have in the Two Kingdom doctrine, you have two realms. You have the, the common kingdom, and so that would include culture, family, society, politics, education, arts, all that stuff. That would be under the common kingdom, and this is a, a neutral kingdom. It's merely human kingdom, and if you look at that, it would be like creation. So that's natural law is governing all of that. And, and then the second would be the redemptive kingdom. And this would include the church, the Christian people, and the covenant of grace kind of fills into that. Uh, And and this would be kind of a a recreation, and uh, it's no longer governed by natural law, but it's governed by special revelation. Like God has spoke through Christ and through his word in this redemptive kingdom. So what you see there is mainly the, the argument here in two, two Kingdom and the Two Kingdom doctrine is that Adam was given dominion, right? Adam was created, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the earth. But then after Adam sins and then we see God cleanse the earth, we have the the Noahic covenant. God makes a covenant with Noah. And um, the argument under two kingdom doctrine is that that covenant is different. And what they would say there is that the covenant with Noah is be fruitful, fill the earth, and there's no call for dominion over the earth. They would say that there's only two Adams, that Adam was given dominion, Adam failed, and that Christ is the second Adam, and that he was given dominion, but the call for people there's no longer a call for people to have dominion over the earth, but mm-hmm. that Christ is the fulfillment of the Adamic covenant, and that He has been given a, He has been given dominion, but that the church does not have dominion over government or over that first kingdom, culture, family, society, politics, education, art. It's all kind of neutral. As those things fail and fall apart around us, the church, it's not the church's job. So the argument would be it's not the church's job to to start a, a medical help thing, you know, uh, where, where you, you're doing some kind of medical support. Or it's not the church's job to go around the world fixing up rundown houses. Or it's not the church's job to, to establish education. Or it's not the church's job to invade politics you know so they would say that you can have individual christians that are talented in those certain areas and they could do that as a christian but they don't they don't submit to the same authority it's it's more of a neutral natural law realm they're not under the same law Mm -hmm. whereas what i would argue is that so one of my biggest things with that and, and a question is what do you do then when natural law and that that first creation kingdom, that, that common kingdom, what do you do when it is contradicted by special revelation or that recreation, that second kingdom, the redemptive kingdom? Can God's natural law and his moral law contradict each other? Mm. 
you know, and, and I would argue no, that they can't. The other concern that I have is that while the church isn't going to go and create a political party, I'm not saying that's not the argument here, but Christ, they would say Christ is the new Adam and he has been given dominion, but that's not for us. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is ruling and reigning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and now we are his body on earth until his return. The church being built into a dwelling place for him. Right. Yeah. The other thing that that I would look at is every social order is theonomic. Mm-hmm. Every social order, every government, every establishment is theonomic. The question is which God will be legislating. Right. You know, I've heard Doug Wilson has said we're either going to be serving the God of the Bible or we're going to be serving Demos, who is the God of the people. You know, mm-hmm. um, Demos is Latin for God of the people. And, and that is an, another way of saying we're either going to be theonomic or we're going to be all autonomous. Either the people are going to decide how to govern themselves, they're going to decide what's important, they're going to decide what they legislate, they're going to decide what their religion is. And if you look at the current culture today, it is a religion. Mm -hmm. And if you speak against it, then you're going to face the backlash because you have to have certain beliefs, you have to believe in equality, and you have to believe in not biblical justice, but social justice. And you have to believe that a person can decide that they want to be identify as a certain gender. It's almost like a new membership class. Right. Yeah, you know? it is. But and and everybody's got to you can't just got to pass the uh you got to affirm the covenant. Right. So like yeah. with LGBTQ+, it's you you can't just allow them to have marriage ceremonies. You have to affirm that what they're saying is true by if you don't call me female what I identify as even though I I look like a male now you're you're that's hate speech and right you know what I mean it's definitely an ideology it's a belief and they're trying to establish laws based off of their religious belief mm-hmm. and, and so every social order is theonomic like what we said the question is will God be legislating or or is the God of the people going to be the one that decides that mm-hmm. so if you look at the c4 bill that just passed in Canada that's what happened is they said we're no longer following the myth of the Bible we have now defined what is true and what is right and what is hateful and all of that stuff, it's no longer acceptable to think that because you're born male that you have to love and marry someone who's born female and then have kids and, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, they're saying that we're, we're getting away from that and we're going to now define what is normal mm-hmm. and it's no longer the Bible. God's not defining it anymore. We are. Right. And if you hold to the biblical belief, then that's that's hateful and we're going to put you in jail because of that. Mm-hmm. So morality is being legislated all of the time. All legislation is legislating morality. People are making laws, and they're establishing punishments based on morality. The question is, who's defining that morality? Right. So would you then, would you say that if someone were to affirm two-kingdom theology, then by definition, you've or in that, you've got to also affirm the myth of neutrality? No. Um, well, 
this is more that that would be more speaking to somebody that would say there needs to be a separation of church and state. And if if I said I understand that you want to make this law, but it goes against the Bible, and then somebody would come up and say, so right now I'm not I'm not talking about like what somebody in two kingdoms would would understand, mm-hmm. but this would just be your your average either professing believer or just the current culture at large today. Yeah. If if I said abortion is wrong because it's murder and the Bible says so, then somebody's going to, most people are going to, that oppose that are going to come and they're going to say, I don't care what the Bible says. There should be a separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. What we're arguing for is that while, yes, we 100% agree there should be a separation of church and state, looking, you know, from a a sphere sovereignty angle, God has established the church, he's established the state, he's established the family. The family and the church don't have dominion over each other, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As a pastor, my job is to preach the word and counsel and rebuke and all of that stuff, but the father is the pastor of his family. right? And so there are individual sovereign spheres there mm-hmm. in the church and the family. And likewise, mm-hmm. the church and the state yeah. and the state and the family, right? The state cannot tell me how I'm going to educate my kids. Right. They don't have that authority. Right. But then the church can't tell the state what they're going to do. So like uh, when we establish the separation of church and state, what that's fighting for is we do not want a state-led church. Right. You know, when we came over from England you had state-led churches. And when we first started establishing the colonies, you started having different state-led churches. Maryland was a Catholic, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and there was Protestant, um, you know, states that were forming. And what the Founding Fathers did not want is, okay, well, you've got the Catholic state here, and then you've got the Protestant state here, and you've got, you know what I mean? We don't want a state-led church. Because it goes back to what we were saying. Yeah, you don't want to see where the, the church is coercing people into a belief. But that's different than God being over the, the state right. or God being over the church or God being over the family. The church is not over the state, but God is over the church and God is over the state. And he does all of that for our good and his glory. Mm-hmm. And so when he establishes a state, he establishes it under his authority just like he establishes a church under his authority, just like he establishes a family under his authority. Right. And so that's kind of my argument for that, is that God is going to be over the state, regardless of if the state submits to that or not, which is why you then have the understanding of what is a good government. What does it look like? The purpose of the government is to protect its people, but it's not to it's not to legislate education and it's not to legislate what religion somebody has to be and all of that kind of stuff. But it does legislate morality. Right. By by nature of what it's doing, it's legislating morality. That's right. And so the question that, that comes up then, and we'll get your take on this, what sins or how do we know what sins should be crimed? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that's an interesting. I mean, you know, when you when you look back and you look at examples of sins that ought to be crimes, you can see. So, like us, for example, right? Is it a crime to murder somebody? Yes. Is that a sin? Yes. Yes. Is it a crime to lie? No. Is that a sin? Yes. Now there well, are times. Time, yeah, I was there are say. times that it, it is a crime to lie, or if you're lying under oath. Well, or adultery. Okay. Right. So it's not a crime to commit adultery. It was. Well, it was at a time, but to, to today. Well, why was it initially a crime? Why was it initially? Yeah. 
Who legislated that? The church. Okay. But it is a sin. So right. it's it's hard to I don't know. Like cuz when you really when you think about it and you say okay, well of course murder is a crime cuz it needs to be a crime, but okay. you're not going to toss a kid in jail because he lied to his friend about what he was doing on Saturday and he just didn't want to hang out with his friend. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I don't so know. So, back to the question, yeah. how do we legislate crimes? Well, we legislate crimes based on case law. Okay. So you take it you take it case by case and that's how you do it. Okay. So if I said that's like lying would be a good example. You're not going to throw a kid in jail for lying to his friend about what he's doing on Saturday, but you are going to throw someone in jail for lying under oath. Okay. But who decided that lying under oath is more bad, more badder than lying to his friend? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, in scripture you've got in the 10 commandments, thou shalt not lie, but then you also have or thou shalt not bear false witness, then you also have unequal weights and measures being an abomination to the Lord. Right. So you've kind of got like unequal weights and measures I would see as like lying is part of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're lying about justice. I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I, it's something I haven't really thought too much about. That's a pretty, that's a pretty deep, deep thought that I haven't really dug through yet. So like going back to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith and, uh, chapter 19 of the law of God. We talked about this when we did looking at God's law, but there are three types of law. We've got God's moral law. We've got his judicial law. And then we have ceremony. And then we have the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was for that people at that time. It was for the Jews. They upheld these ceremonies and things like that. Judicial law and the 1689 words it this way to them. Also, he gave the sundry judicial law which expired together with the state of that people, not obligating any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of moral use. And so that's kind of what my argument is here, is that God has given us his moral law, and the general equity of those laws are still of moral use today. Mm. So when we establish laws today, we're pulling from the general equity of the laws that God has established in the Old Testament. We're looking at God's judicial law, and we're seeing what he's given as penalties and things like that, right? And so my argument or my answer to that question, what sins should be crimes— I think God's defined that for us in his word. And we can go back and look to that and see, okay, murder was a sin that there it was a high crime, right? Mm -hmm. We look at Cain and Abel, and in Abel, God dealt harshly with Cain mm -hmm. for killing Abel. We look at different things like adultery, and God has given us an answer for that. But once we move away from theonomy, and we start moving to autonomy, it changes what sins should be crime. So look at murder, for example. We would say that murder is a law that can receive the death penalty, right? Murder is a law that we should make a crime and there should be a punishment for that. Mm -hmm. But then you have abortion. And now, while there are some states that still have on the book that abortion is murder and there is a crime that's being committed in abortion— they're not enforcing that. Or if you look at adultery, a lot of states had on the books adultery being a crime and an enforceable crime. But nowadays it's not because we've shifted from theonomy to autonomy and we're now deciding what we are going to penalize and make a crime. So nowadays it's not a crime for a husband to cheat on his wife, but it is a crime for 
a baker of a cake to refuse a gay couple to make their wedding cake. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm arguing for is is consistency with scripture. God has revealed himself through his word. He has given us his moral law, which is unchanging and binding for all people. He's given us his judicial law, which was for that people at that time. But the general equity of those are still applicable to us today. And so that's kind of where I'm arguing from is let's let's give that general equity and hold to a, a more theonomic system of government than an autonomous system of government. Because then it just gets arbitrary. Right. The people of the day, the current culture, decides who is right and who is wrong based on popular opinion of the day. Mm-hmm. But then going back to sphere sovereignty, that understanding that God has created these spheres and they are sovereign in and of themselves, but that God's over all of them. But then another interesting thing that I heard on Joel Webbins' podcast, what's it called? Theology Applied. Theology Applied. He, he brought up a really good point, and he was saying one of the things with the church today is the church does not want to engage the culture with the gospel on these different areas. The church doesn't want to engage the culture in society or in politics or in education or in arts because we have this losing mindset. We've got to lose. And and right. because ultimately the predominant American Christian culture has this defeatist mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Like things are going to get bad and then they're going to get worse and then we're either going to get raptured or the Lord's going to come back and usher in his kingdom. And I, and I think this is where... Uh, a post-millennial mindset or a post-millennial understanding can be helpful to the church. I'm not saying everybody has to agree, but I think it helps the church because we're looking at how can the church impact these things to the glory of God. And so there's got to be, I think there needs to be this opposition to two kingdoms, but then there's got to be this opposition to eschatology. And that's what Joel was saying, and and I really agree with that. We need to oppose eschatology. And his interview was with Joe Boot. Oppose, like, bad eschatology. Right. Oppose the current eschatology of the day. Prevalent eschatology, yeah. yeah. And Joe Boot was the guy that he was interviewing. And, And what he said was, when we refuse to bring culture and family and society and politics and education and art, when we refuse to bring those things under the Word of God... People refuse to believe the word of God applies to those areas in life. And what that does every time is it leads to the latest ideas being king. You know, Demos becomes king, the God of the people, like the people and their latest ideas and thoughts become relevant and prevalent. Once that happens, like what we've been talking about, justice becomes redefined. Love becomes redefined. Personhood and gender becomes redefined. Truth becomes redefined. Christians in that culture, Christians in the culture that have redefined all of these things, their mindset tends to be those things are not that important. They don't need to be brought under the lordship of Christ. And that's where we're at today. Most Christians will say, yeah, politics, you know, that's the church doesn't have a place in politics or the school system. The school system's bad, but I'm not going to pull my kids out of public school because then that would cost me money and that would cost me time and that would cost me all this stuff. Or, you know, all of these different areas, we just, those things become less important Mm -hmm. because what we're focusing on is just the church now. So families are less important. There's 
the divorce rate is equal or greater in the church as it is outside of the church. The amount of kids in the church that go to public education is, what, 90, 90, 95%. COVID has helped with homeschooling, but Mm -hmm. there's a quote from Vody Bauckham that I really like, and he said, we keep sending our kids to Caesar to be educated, and then we wonder why they come home as Roman. But culture is not neutral. It's teaching. It's preaching. It's indoctrinating. And there's so many spheres that, that we have forsaken as God's people as the body of Christ, who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and has told us, therefore, to go and make disciples of all the nations, yeah. baptizing them and to teach them. I, I wanted to I wanted to read a passage real quick, and, and then we can kind of wrap it up. But our first episode, we talked about why we chose the name Locust and Honey, and I've always been drawn to John the Baptist. And we went through all of that in the first episode. If you haven't listened, go go and listen to it. But there's a, a passage I'm going to read in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he had heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. And I think John the Baptist is a great example because John is going to Herod, who's not a Jew, and he's saying, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's bringing in God's moral law. He's bringing in God's character and his law of what he said for all of his creation. And he's speaking to the government and he's calling the government to repentance. And and Herod heard him and was moved and greatly perplexed by that. What I really think that the church needs to do is we need to engage the culture on all aspects. We need to engage the culture politically. We need to engage the culture through family we need to teach what biblical family looks like. We need to teach gender roles. We need to teach biblical gender norms. We need to teach that the husband is the leader of the family, that the wife is called to be submissive to the husband, that the family is a gift from God, and it's how he protects people, and we're training up our kids in righteousness. We need to teach that we need to be educating our kids under a biblical worldview. Schools now, if you send your kid to public school, they're getting an atheistic education. Atheism is without God, and our schools are teaching without God. And so there needs to be this call to engage society, engage the culture, engage education, engage politics, engage family, engage the arts with the truth of the gospel, because it's all under Christ's feet. And he is using the church as his body to usher these things in. To, to kind of wrap it up, where we're at in culture, where we're saying that these things aren't important, we need to be focused on getting our own house right and being the church and loving the people under us and preaching the word and doing the sacraments. Yes, we do need to be focused on those things. But at the same time, if you look at when the culture starts to pull away, if you look at when we start to see this bad eschatology, it's always linked to a theology of defeat. Mm-hmm. When eschatology gets bad, when the culture starts to pull, when the church starts to pull away from the culture, it's linked to a theology of defeat. If you look at the high point of dispensationalism, the hermeneutic of dispensationalism, the high point is in the 1900s amidst the two world wars. 
you know? Yeah. And so there's this defeatist mentality. And, and so ultimately what we're looking for is this theological framework that justifies this sense of defeat. And it justifies the failure of the church to engage the culture with the gospel. You mm-hmm. know, we're looking to be excused of guilt. We're looking to be excused of all of that because ultimately we don't want to deal with the fact that the church has failed, mm-hmm. you know? And a point that that Joe Boot made on that podcast that we were talking about, he said ultimately the underlying issue with all of that is that we have associated power with evil, you know? So we think, okay, if the church is becoming powerful, we've gone wrong and it's evil. Right. But if you look at what power is, power is not evil, power is not good. It can be used for evil. Something to be stewarded. Yeah, it is. Going back to Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That is a call to power. Christ has given the church his authority and he has all authority and he has all power. If you look at it, God is omnipotent, which means that he's all powerful. And so power is either put in the service of God or it's put in the service of idols. Right. Every single time, it's, it's going to be put in the service of one of the two, God or idols. And the church needs to reclaim the power that Christ has given us. And we do that by speaking the truth and understanding that we don't have to be looking for this defeatist mentality. Like, what's the point of engaging the culture if it's just going to collapse and Christ is about to come back and everything's going to be What's the point of polishing destroyed? brass on the Titanic? Right, yeah. exactly. But Christ has been given all authority, and he's called us to that. Mm-hmm. And, and we see in Daniel that there's the stone, and it's kicked, and that stone, it shatters the stone of the, the foot of the statue, and that stone begins to grow until it turns into a mountain that fills the whole earth. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's where a post-millennial understanding helps because we see the culture and we see how far it's fallen, but then we want to speak truth into that. Right. And, uh, and I think that's what we're called to do is make disciples of all the nations, baptize them and teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can do another episode one day on the kingdom of God and support for that. But I, I just really wanted to kind of look at and tackle this issue of theonomy versus autonomy, because either God is governing or we're self-governing, and, and it's arbitrarily us making up what is right and what is wrong. Right. He's told us what is right. He's told us what is wrong. And I think that understanding that power is either put in the service of God or it's going to be put in the service of idols. Mm-hmm. And we're called to tear down all of the idols. Yeah. I, I think that Christians need to be about that business as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I've heard a lot growing up anyways and, and into college is, and even, and you hear it today, is, well, that's not a gospel issue. So we're not going to speak on that because it's not a gospel issue. We're right. called to be a light that shines into the darkness. But what that means is sharing the gospel, sharing the story of the gospel. And that's our, that's our one job. Well, you know? uh, yeah. And a lot of people, when they say that, they're using that as a cop out. Right. I and, don't want to deal with that topic. I don't want to address that topic. Yeah. I don't want to. Well, the thing, too, is that, okay, well, what's the gospel about then? All right. right. The gospel is God's redemptive work upon all all of creation. His promise fulfilled in Genesis 3, where all of creation falls because Adam— or is cursed because Adam sinned and Eve sinned. Yeah. And so the rest of the story 
the gospel is the whole is all of scripture, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, from Genesis to Revelation. I think that when we box it in to simply the story of our redemption, which it is, mm-hmm. but also you've got Psalm one ten. Sit at my the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all of your enemies as a footstool for your feet. You've got Daniel two, which is what you were saying with yeah. the stone filling the earth. You've got uh, in Matthew when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God being like leaven in the loaf that fil- that fills the whole loaf, right? That's all part of the gospel because that's all the Lord redeeming all of his creation for his glory. Yeah. You know? Genesis 49.10, Shiloh is coming. To him shall be the obedience of the nations. Right. Isaiah yeah. 42, what we read, you know, today. Yeah. So that that's kind of my thought. A lot of this for me was very raw, and so I intentionally didn't, speak a ton because I'm not very read, well read on all this stuff, but... Well, you had me speaking a ton, and I'm just <laughs> stepping off in it, Well, too, you're so. definitely, well, better read on it than I am, but I I, uh, I do have, that's just one of the observations that I've made as someone who is not very well read, but my initial, one of my initial observations that you were talking about is we tend to personalize the gospel so much that we think the whole story is about us and just our redemption. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what we talked about a little bit last week of man-centered gospel versus God-centered gospel, you know? Yeah. So. Well, and, and yeah, and and to kind of tie it all together, too, whether we have a, a premillennial understanding, an all-millennial understanding, or a post-millennial understanding of eschatology, let's say that we're going to be here for another 200 years. Mm-hmm. We don't know. If that's true, I want to help my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren be able to benefit from Christian ideas and government. One of the things, and not to rehash it up, but one of the things that Two Kingdom Theology says is that after God's covenant with Noah, culture and society and what's right and what's wrong societally, it they all just kind of agreed on this is what's right and this is what's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not true. If you look at societies, they in in some places it's okay to eat your enemy, you know. Yeah. In some places it's okay to have, you know. There's just no society. If you look at the barbarians and you look at the Romans and you look at the Greeks and you look at Zulus and you look at the Aztecs, they are not the same, and they're not saying that these are just these are not just natural laws that are you know good for everybody. Right. But if you look at the Western culture right now, we do have a lot of the same laws that we're saying this is morally acceptable, this isn't. But the Western culture has been shaped by the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, you had it's it's been you had the Puritans and you had the reformers and you had these people that were calling people back to this theonomic understanding of the gospel and the scripture and God's law, his moral law, having an effect on the society as well, and right. that shaped these cultures. And I want my grandkids and great-grandkids to grow up in a culture that's been shaped by the gospel that is not a culture that's been shaped by autonomy and mm-hmm. just self-governance. <laughs> right. So that's what I want to do. I want to live to help see that come. I want my hands to be to the plow. And if the if Christ returns tomorrow, I want my hands to be at the plow fulfilling the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. You see a call for evangelism. You see a call for discipleship. You see a call for the ordinances. There's baptism in that. But then what are we doing? We're teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. Right. We need to be doing that. We need to be going and making disciples 
baptizing them, but then also teaching them to obey. That's a call to submission to the authority of Christ. Mm -hmm. And the church has failed to call the culture to submit to the authority of Christ. And I want to be found doing that. Right. Well, that was a good conversation. That was a good conversation. Like I said, if you guys have any questions or want to follow up, you can go to our link tree to do that. It'll be linked in the show notes. And if not, I hope that you have a great Lord's Day, and we will talk to you next week. Indeed.